29 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 29 and verse 11. And this is what the word says. This is what the word says. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. And then it says that thou has, thou has exalted as a head above all. We are learning about God, the God of the Bible. Who is God of the Bible? Who is the God of the Bible? Not Santa Claus, but God of the Bible is triune God. Not only that, but it speaks about uh, when, when, when uh, 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 in First Chronicles, when it is written that thine is the greatness, thine is the power, thine is the glory, thine is the majesty, victory, and thine is the majesty. Now, let me put this all together and make a sense out of this verse. And listen very carefully. Thou art exalted in, thou art exalted in your greatness in your power, in your glory, in your victory, and in your majesty. That is the God of the Bible. He is exalted about everything. He is exalted about everything. And that's what we are learning about God. Who our God is. Who our God is. When you know who God is, then he does what he promised. Do you understand, friends? If you know who God of the Bible, who is exalted about everything, when you know who he is, and you ponder, you meditate on the characteristics and the attributes of God, then the blessings flow because that is his nature. And you cannot change God's nature. He does what he does. And we are going to learn about the sovereignty of God. You will be, you will be blessed whoever God is. But this is what we are learning about God, God of the Bible. And uh, I hope you will just love the God of the Bible. You know, Charles Spurgeon says, plunge yourself into the doctrine of God and soak yourself and you will be amazed how God will adorn you with his understanding. With his understanding. You know, this is the part we would like to do over and over again. So you know our God is an, we sing, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He is awesome God. He is absolutely awesome God. So last Lord's Day, we consider about that, uh, what does Paul say about Christ in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9? Well, we learn about that, that all the fullness of God dwelled bodily in Christ Jesus. All the fullness of God, all the majesty, glory, power, wisdom, understanding, all dwell in Christ. So Jesus said, if you know me, you know my father. If you know me, you know my father. That's what we look into last Lord's day. 
Then in the writer of the, writer of the, the, writer of the Hebrews writes in chapter 1 verse 3, this is what he says. Who being, that is Jesus Christ, listen very carefully. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Majesty on high. So Jesus is the manifestation of God. Jesus is the express image of God. He's the icon. He's the icon of God. That's what we learned last Lord's Day. So it's wonderful that all the glory, all the majesty dwells in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of his nature. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. And let me tell you, friends, Jesus is not a God. He, he is not a God. He is not a small God, as Jehovah Witness tells you. Okay? We don't worship one and a half God. Probably they are, because it is man-made. We worship what God has given us in the scripture. That is, Jesus Christ is Lord. I think uh, in people's church... Oswald Smith, he said, listen to this. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of all, he is not the Lord at all. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of all, he is not the Lord at all. It's wonderful. Well, that was last Lord's Day, so I don't want to dwell more in that. Now, we are looking into the attributes of God. The attributes of God. An attribute is quality of, or characteristic that is true about someone. Studying God's attributes allow us to have limited understanding of his person. Even though some concepts exceed the limits of our comprehension, our idea concerning God need to be as true as possible. So when we are here every Lord's Day to study, you will feel like that you are in a seminary class because that is what we are going to study. We are studying about God. We are studying about God. So I want you to come with appetite so you enjoy. Come with appetite so you can enjoy every word. So the first attributes of God God is holy. You know, my friend, that part, we ought to teach our children. That part ought to be, you know, our whole concept of reaching out people, God loves you. Yes, he loves us. He loves us. But we ought to teach who God is. Holy God. He's holy God. When, when Israelites came out, remember, Israelites came out from Egypt, crossed the uh, uh, Red Sea, and Moses lifted up his voice. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, he says, Who is like unto our God, glorious in holiness? First thing, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and who is doing wonders? Who is like unto our God? Who is glorious? 
glorious. So holiness means separation. Separation. The term is used with reference to the persons or the things which are set apart for God and service. Like example, we have holy ground. You remember when Moses was standing at the burning bush, what did the Lord say? Remove your shoes, the ground you are standing is holy ground. Set aside. Set aside. Then the holy Sabbath. Holy Sabbath. Anybody violate the holy Sabbath, God took very seriously. God took very seriously. What was the punishment? Death. Death. That is the holiness of God. He means the business. God means the business, friends. Then holy nation. What is holiness? Set aside for God only. Holy nation. Then holy place. The holiness always belongs to God. Show me in the religion of the world. Anyone ever said, I am holy? Muhammad ever said, no. Krishna ever said, I am holy? No. Buddha ever said, no. Only God of the Bible. Only God of the Bible say, I am holy, so I want you to be holy. I am holy, you ought to be holy. So holiness belongs to God in that respect, there is none holy like the Lord. You know who comes to my mind when I think, when I prepare, I said, Hannah. Remember Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, the Lord refrained her bearing the child. Remember, Elkanah was a man. And then what happened? When the Lord blessed Hannah with a child, Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Oh, thank you, Tim. There is none holy. You know, Hannah had a more knowledge of God than Eli the priest. Wow. Hannah had a more understanding of God. Eli represented God's people to God, but he failed to know whom he was representing. Hannah knew who God is, and he said, Who is like unto thee, your holy God? Your holy God. It is basically the term for the moral excellency of God. And his freedom from all limitation in his moral perfection. He's so holy, friends. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, he cannot even look to the evil things. He cannot even look to the evil things. Christ in his life. And the character in his supreme example of the divine holiness. It was his entire consecration to the will and the purpose of God. So the holiness of Christ 
is the standard of the Christian character. Holiness is the standard for the Christian character. I would add one more word, Christian conduct. Christian conduct and Christian character based on God's character. God's character. So you know the character of God, then you will fashion your conduct and your character and then you become the fifth gospel of God. Then you'll become fifth gospel of God. When people see you, they see Christ is the hope of glory in you. What a privilege. What a privilege. In the New Testament, the apostolic designation for Christian is saints. In Christian church, in, the, in, in, in Christ, the believers are called saints. Not when they die, but when they come out from darkness to the marvelous light. Some people believe after they die, they will designate a person to be saint. Well, that is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. Not my Bible, probably their Bible. Not my Bible. My Bible says, Paul says, saints. All the believers are saints. You know what? Saints means set apart. Set apart. So we are set apart for the one who has set aside from the darkness to the marvelous light. He set aside from the marvelous, from the darkness to the marvelous light. So the holiness essentially defines the Christian nature and the conduct in contrast to the pre-salvation lifestyle. Friends, I want to just, in a twinkling of an eye, look, go back to your past life. A second, who you were. And in Christ, who are you now? Do you see the difference? The things you used to do, you do not more, you do not do anymore. The places you used to go, you do not go anymore. The money you used to spend, you do not spend anymore. Right? Because the great change has taken place. The old lifestyle buried, and you attended your own funeral. You attended your own funeral of the past and you looked into in the casket and said, Solomon is dead. He's dead. And now he's living because Christ lives in him. That is who we are. That is who we are. Saints. We are saints. <clears throat> so Christians are associated with the holy God. And must treat God and his word with respect and reverence. We therefore glorify him best by being like him. You know, my friends, if somebody says, you know, you look like your father. Isn't it wonderful? You look like your father. You take pride. Oh, wow. Daddy, I'm looking like you. How about heavenly father? You look like your heavenly father. That is the life worth living. That is the life worth living. But you know, if um, so many people have contrast lifestyle, that's why the name of the Lord is blaspheme. 
You remember David, a man after God's own heart? When he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, and murder and all these things, Nathan, the man of the hour, prophet, he confronted David. And what did he say? Because of your sin, you have given the occasion to the Gentile to blaspheme the name of God. Our call is a higher call. Our call is a higher call. And uh, we, you know, what did, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Will you please turn? Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5:48 Thank you You know friends I call it that verse the goal of the gospel The goal of the gospel be perfect as your heavenly father or the great purpose of salvation Great purpose of salvation. You know, salvation offers all the blessings of heaven and all these things. But in the present times, salvation means that our goal ought to be gospel. Or perfection. Perfection. The great yearning of the heart of God that we should be like him. We should be like him. The word perfect is a very interesting word, friends. I want you to understand very, very carefully. Basically, the word perfect means, it means mature. Mature. Heavenly Father is perfect. He is our standard. We ought to become mature in his understanding. Perfect. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and chapter 14, verse 20, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, become mature, mature, mature. That perfection is utterly impossible in man's own power. To those who wonder how can Jesus demand that impossible? If Perfection, if maturity is impossible, how can the Lord demands from his people perfection? How can he demand perfection? Well, remember in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, what did Jesus say? With men, everything is possible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, everything is possible. With God, everything is possible. Now, let me explain, and you be careful to understand. This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That which God demands, when God demands, he provides. The Lord Jesus Christ, let me use the sports illustration. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a coach who never played a game and he asking the player to play the game. Understand that. 
Having said that, he provides the power to accomplish man's righteousness. How many people boast about their good works? And they think they are so deceived that the good works will take them to heaven. And Brother Peter will be standing to welcome them because of their good works. That is not the Bible says. That is not the Bible says. So man's own righteousness is imperfect and worthless. Matter of fact, Prophet Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, All of our good works like filthy rags. Filthy rags. So man's own righteousness is imperfect and worthless. God's righteousness is impossible. But the impossible righteousness becomes possible for those who trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. Let me say it again. It's so beautiful. Follow this very carefully. Man's own righteousness is imperfect and worthless. God's righteousness is impossible, but, I I put the circle, but the impossible righteousness of God becomes the possible for those who put that trust in Jesus Christ and he imputes his righteousness in us. That is the God of the Bible. That is the God of the Bible. And that's what the Lord expects us. That is what the Lord expects us. Peter so beautifully said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, let me read to you. But as he, that is Christ, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. This is the high calling of the believers. Beloved friends, once upon a time, we were unrighteous, unholy, filthy, godless, lost, dead. But thank God, what we could not have done, he did it for us. Paul writes so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 29, but God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So in him we might be clothed in his righteousness. In his righteousness. God, holy God, declares us not guilty. Oh, he has forgiven all my past all my present, and all my future. And the Lord said, I will remember, Solomon, your sin no more. Should that very verse take me to my knees and I can fall on my ground and say, thank you, Lord. He has saved me from the penalty of sin. He saves me every day from the power of sin. And One day he will be saving me from the presence of sin, where I shall be like him. That is the hope of the calling. We shall be like him. We shall be like him. So listen, let let me explain. This is the high calling of the gospel. Stop living sinful life. 
stopped living sinful life as did prior, prior to regeneration, Peter's calls to holiness was not a new thing for Peter to write. And, and mind you, my friends, he was writing to the suffering believers under the Roman Nero emperor, where the believers were burned to death. And Peter is penning this letter and he said, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Be holy. Peter is talking about what Mosaic law told Israelites in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Someone can read, please. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 40, 44. Chapter 11, verse 44. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And then, you know, there are several verses in that line in chapter 19 of Leviticus, 19 verse 2, chapter 20 verse 7, Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, 7 and 8. This is the Old Testament command to Israelites who came out from Egypt and the Lord through Moses said, be ye holy that I am holy. So God's standard is not change. You know why? Because God is not change. God is not change. His word is not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The compelling reason, listen to this, the compelling reason for us to be holy and live holiness because of our relationship with God. The, the, the more your relationship with God grows, more your relationship understanding of God grows, and more you like to think about God. Then when you go in the presence of God, you would not seek your kingdom, but his kingdom. You will not seek your will, but his will. His will, that is how wonderful it is. As the Christian, as the children of Israel were called to love and serve God, to separate themselves from the morality and uncleanness, our call is not less than that. If God is holy, then he expects us to live holy life because of our relationship with him. How is the relationship with your with you with, with, with you, with the Lord. How is your relationship? The Lord expects you to grow in holiness. In holiness. And then, righteousness and justice is another attribute of God. The righteousness and justice are derived from the same root word 
In the original language of the New Testament, the meaning is being right or just. Righteousness. Being right with God. When Patamadi, you were not there last Sunday, I took the liberty in your absence, so forgive me. God willing, from next spring, I told that I would like to teach the book of Job. Book of Job and more than 200 practical lessons. Why I'm telling Job? Because Job's test, God's testimony about Job that he was a righteous man, right? Noah was a righteous man. What does it mean? He was right with God. He was right with God. Abraham believed God and he was called righteous. Righteous. When you believed the finished work of Christ, you are declared righteous. Righteous. Isn't that wonderful? Friends, the doctrine of justification and the righteousness is mind-boggling. That how can holy God, who cannot look through the evil things, and yet, yet, he declares us righteous. When we were missionary among the tribal people, get this. I used to go for a walk. And it was a beautiful mountain. In the valley, I would go for a walk. One day I was walking, and there was a man and son. A son was on his bike, and man was walking. Early morning at 5 o'clock. So I stopped them, and I greeted them. How are you? Where are you going? This is what they say. Listen very carefully. I said, where are you going? We are going to the temple. We are coming back, coming from our home. I said, where are you living? He said, 200 kilometers from where we were talking about. For a week they were walking. I said, why are you walking and going there? He said, I want to have a peace in my heart. Two hundred and fifty kilometers to walk to find the peace, and I told them you can find the peace right now in Christ Jesus. Amen. And what did he say to me? You are God to me. I said no, I'm presenting the God who can offer you peace. Thank God, friends, that once upon a time we were just like that, but now in Christ. He brought us, imputed Christ's righteousness. You know the beauty of God's word and the beauty of Christianity? Not only God saves us, but he imputes his spirit in us to live holy life. Because in us we cannot. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And he leads us always, always. Righteousness designates the perfect agreement between God's nature and his acts. Justice is the way God legislates his righteousness. There is no action that God takes in relation to man that violates any code or morality or justice. 
There is no action that God takes in relation to man that violates an, uh, any code or morality of justice. You know, I was thinking about that God's, there is no action that God takes in re- relation to man. No action. God is not changing his nature. He's righteous as he was, he is, he will be. I was thinking about, follow me the example. I hope I will, the Holy Spirit help me to make you understand. In the book of Jonah, you remember the story. Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh, but he was running away from God. And the Lord has to bring him and uh, he brought him out. And he was commissioned in chapter 3, go and preach the message of repentance, right? That in three days, the city of Nineveh will be tumbled down and destroyed by the wrath of God. That was God, unless they repent. Jonah, a powerful preacher, in one day's sermon, everybody on their knees. Everybody on their knees. The king commanded not to eat. Not even the animals should be eating anything. That was real repentance. That was real, real repentance. The Holy Spirit writes, read the four chapters of beautiful. And Ninevehites believed Jonah's preaching. And their belief has transformed their lives. Okay? So what God had intended for Ninevites, God did not do that. What happened? Brother Jonah was upset. Because he had figured it out that God should do this, 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 this. And the, how many times we figure it out God should do for us. As Jonah did it. And Jonah was very upset with God. Very upset with God. What's the matter with you, God? I represented you and uh, I preached the message. And why the judgment is not coming? My friends, God's nature is forgiving nature, right? If God recounts our iniquities, who will stand before him? I want you to turn with me several verses, so beautiful, but it fits very well. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 8. Jeremiah 18, verse 8. Okay, God will not punish them if they repent, right? That's the, that's the message. Okay, hold on to that. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23 and 32. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23 and 33. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23 and 32. 
so beautiful. Read, please, someone can read this. Through 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn ye yourselves and live, live ye. Thank you, Brother Marty. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. I have no pleasure. Chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 and verse 15, please. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 and 15. The, uh, verse 11. Oh, sorry, verse 15. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed. Walk in the statues of life without committing iniquity. Okay. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Amen. Thank you very much, Len. What a beautiful... Is the Lord says... I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's why Jonah was commissioned to go and preach the message of repentance. And so the whole Ninevites turned to God. Jonah became upset because he was questioning about God's nature. He was questioning about God's credentiality, credibility. God, you're wrong, something wrong. I did it and you did not do what you promised. Friends, there is no action that God takes in relation to man that violates any code of morality or justice. He is a righteous God. He is a righteous God. He is a righteous God. His justice endures forever. So God's righteousness is displayed in his judgment also. God's righteousness is always displayed in his judgment Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright you are, your judgments are upright. That is the God, God's holiness. God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice. God's justice. God's perfect holiness could be both just and as well as justifier of the sinful and unworthy one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're talking about justice and righteousness. Now follow this thought very carefully. The real problem, as it were with the salvation, salvation was not the matter of getting sinful man to the holy God, but getting the holy God to accept the sinful man. Let me say it again, friends. Let me say it again. The real problem, as it were, with salvation, salvation was not the matter of getting sinful man to the holy God, but getting the holy God to accept the sinful man without violating his justice. If God is a just, how can... He accepts unjust people. That was a dilemma. 
it is for us it is easy to bring people a sinner to god but how can holy god can come to sinner and accept him as his own and not violating his justice that's a deep theological question that's a deep theological question it was only hallelujah it was only through cross it was only through cross that god would provide just redemption for sinful man so the cross demonstrates forever that god is both supremely just and supremely gracious supremely gracious and supremely just that's why as a sinner he accepts us as we are we sing that song just as i am and the transaction takes place right away if god considers our iniquities the psalmist says who can stand in his presence but lord with you there is forgiveness god is a just and the justifier of wicked people like me and you that's why the gospel is the good news that's why the gospel is the good news that Christ died that the world might see that neither God's holiness nor his justice have been abrogated or cancelled so justice and the truth had married together and standing together in Christ alone Christ alone So the cross was the ultimate vindication of God's justice and righteousness. The most unfathomable of all spiritual mysteries is that of the holy and just God now providing redemption to the sinful man. <laughs> Billy Graham was preaching one day and after preaching one man came he said uh, dr graham what can i do to be saved i said he said everything is done deal for you you don't have to do anything yeah. jesus did it for us is it not true Amen. he did it for us so now we can enter into the holy of holies in the wonderful precious name of Jesus Christ Amen. rejoice give glory to god Amen. let's take the concern to lift be lifted up